What is the meaning of life? Go big or go home, right? We all know that Jesus was fond of parables. He often shrouded meaning in allegory and buried his wisdom in stories. Jesus recognizes, I think, that meaning and purpose in life are buried deep within us. Like a mustard seed in the soil that's yet to blossom, or like treasure buried in a field, or a pearl the likes of which has never been seen before, meaning is often something buried within us that we have to discover in time. Like truth wrapped in a parable, it's inside of us. And without meaning, we are nothing. Here Jesus offers four brief parables. And when one discerns their meaning, they'll discover the meaning of life. So as Jesus was fond of saying, anyone with two ears had better listen. A reading from Matthew 13, 31 through 35, 44 through 46. He put before them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all the seeds, but when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed in with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables. Without a parable, he told them nothing. This was to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth to speak in parables. I will proclaim what has been hidden from the foundation of the world. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which someone found and hid. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. On finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you. And may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Life can be absurd. Weird, ridiculous things happen all the time if we're paying attention. Just the other day, one of those white Amazon delivery vans pulled into the church parking lot. The window rolled down, and the office staff watched in amazement as a package was thrown out of the window of the van, followed by another, and then another, 
each of them hitting the building before tumbling down to the ground. The window rolled up, paused a moment, then rolled down again. And then a fourth box was carelessly tossed into the street before the window rolled up a final time and the driver sped off. This reminded me of another careless delivery I once received. A UPS delivery driver came to my front door with a parcel that was addressed to a neighbor of mine who lived a few doors down. Oh, oh, this isn't for me, I told him, and his reply really stunned me. Well, you can still keep it if you want. (laughs) He offered with a nod and a wink. And he wasn't joking. He tried to leave it on my doorstep. What was he thinking? And more importantly, what kind of unscrupulous people are delivering our packages these days? Absurdity can be humorous. It was funny, I thought, when a Scottish councilman who shut down all of the public restrooms in his town was later fined for urinating in public. (laughs) Absurdity can be frightening. Last year, a man in China discovered that his walnut cracker, which he'd been using daily for 25 years to pound walnuts, was in fact a live hand grenade discarded from the war. Luckily, it never exploded. Absurdity can be tragic. Consider the sad story of a father and son in Alabama who last year died in a head-on collision with each other, completely by accident, completely at random. Funny, scary, sad. What all of these stories have in common is that they are unlikely and surreal. Nothing about them feels typical or ordinary. They are absurd. And yet there are philosophers who would argue that absurdity is typical and ordinary. That it's, in fact, the whole of human life. In uh, philosophical terms, absurdity is less about being ridiculous or strange and more about the disconnect between the human craving for meaning and a world that simply cannot provide it. In his seminal work on the subject, an essay called The Myth of Sisyphus, the philosopher Albert Camus writes, Man feels within him his longing for happiness and for reason. The absurd is born of this confrontation between the human need and the unreasonable silence of the world. This divorce between man and his life, the actor and his setting, is properly the feeling of absurdity. Put simply, according to Camus, life is absurd because we tend to seek meaning where there is none to be found. And lest this begin to feel like an abstract concept, know that I have no interest in wasting your time with abstract concepts. I have a degree in philosophy, and I can tell you that most of it is nonsense, and that most philosophers have too much time on their hands. This, on the other hand, is quite literally a matter of life and death, a question of whether an absurd life 
a life without meaning is worth living at all. There is but one truly serious philosophical problem, Camus writes, and that is suicide. Judging whether life is or is not worth living amounts to answering the fundamental question of philosophy. All the rest, whether or not the world has three dimensions, whether the mind has nine or 12 categories, comes afterwards. These are games. One must first answer the question. Now, I'm going to come back to Camus and his absurdity in a moment, but first, a confession. Talking about suicide up here in this pulpit scares me for a number of reasons. It's emotionally fraught. It's something that I'm sure a number of you have struggled with. Some of you, I know, have lost people you loved to it. Others have surely contemplated it. Some may even be contemplating it right now. And I'm terrified of saying anything that might move a person so much as an inch in that dreadful direction. And furthermore, I don't have any answers. The taking of one's own life is a deeply personal decision, and there is no universal explanation for why life, for some, has become unbearable. And that's one of the hardest things, I think, for the people left behind. They can never truly understand why. In that terrible vacuum, reasons for the person's suicide are concocted. Arguments against them articulated, maybe screamed out in anger at the deceased or tearfully murmured into a pillow. The survivor, the one left behind, sees a million ways out of the predicament that took her friend's life. But the one who surrenders their life sees no other escape. Like the biblical King Saul, surrounded by Philistines on the slopes of Mount Gilboa, he can see no other way out and in desperation falls on his own sword. The recent suicides of well-known and respected people like Robin Williams and Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain have especially shocked the world, I think, and haunted our cultural consciousness. We can't make sense of it. Why would people who have attained vast wealth, who have earned the admiration of millions, people with healthy children and loving families, people who have achieved all of their dreams, do this to themselves. It just doesn't make sense. It's absurd. But while I don't claim to know the reasons, I wonder if it was an encounter with Camus' absurd, that is, a profound lack of meaning that robbed these people of their will to live. This is an academic. During one of uh, the episodes of his TV show, Parts Unknown, Anthony Bourdain mused sadly, what do you do after your dreams come true? Once we clear away the things that we tend to focus on and aspire to, you know, material wealth or worldly success, fame, and so on, once we 
move beyond those things, raw existence is laid bare. Camus describes that experience as an arid desert. A lot of people have glimpsed it, he says, but most retreat back into more civilized territory where the world keeps us busy. And others, face to face with that vast emptiness, that existential wilderness, have taken their lives. The real effort, the philosopher writes, is to stay there insofar as it is possible and to examine the odd vegetation of those distant regions. Why? Because there is meaning and purpose deep within us that can only be found in that proverbial desert. There's a reason to live there if we can find it. There's an apocryphal text not found in our Bible known as the Acts of Peter and the Twelve Apostles. Dating back to the second century, it describes a journey undertaken by the apostles to spread the news of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And wandering the seas and deserts of the ancient Near East, they encounter a wandering merchant of pearls. His name is Lethargoel, and he offers to show them his finest pearl if they will only accompany him back to his city where he keeps it. Peter and the others are eager to visit this mysterious city that they've never heard of, that they might spread the gospel there. And so they embark upon a dangerous journey with this pearl merchant deeper into the wilderness, a road fraught with wolves and bandits and other terrors. And when they arrive, their efforts are rewarded. For Lethargoel reveals that he is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And his pearl is their treasure. It's their purpose. The call that he places upon their lives that gives them meaning. It's what kept them going, kept them alive on the journey to find it. Now the Gospel of Matthew carries a similar message in these parables. A mustard seed, a bit of yeast, a treasure discovered in a field, a precious pearl that's worth more than everything we own. These parables are about our reason for being, sometimes yet to be revealed. Camus was right, I think, when he said that the world can't offer us meaning. The world doesn't care about us. But God cares about us, and God blesses each of us with a reason to live, just as Jesus reveals the pearl to the apostles. And the whole point of these parables, of parables themselves even, is that meaning is there even if we can't see it just yet. I can't tell you what the meaning of life is. We each have a different pearl, a different experience. For some, that pearl might be a vocation or a just cause or a burning desire to create. I recently read a story about a man named Troy Hurtabees who led a fascinating existence. Many years ago on a walk in the woods, he was attacked by a grizzly bear. And having just barely survived the encounter, Troy, who also happened to be an inventor, 
uh, decided to build a bear-proof suit that would allow him to study the creatures up close without risk. He called it the Ursus Mark VI, an impressive exoskeleton forged of steel, airbags, and a whole lot of duct tape. It was capable of withstanding just about anything. To test it out, uh, Troy undertook uh, a series of experiments which are uh, caught on film. He threw himself off of the Niagara escarpment, walked through fire, and stood still while he allowed a three-ton truck driving at 30 miles per hour to run straight into him 18 consecutive times sending him flying into the nearby trees, but apparently no worse for wear. The suit worked. The Ursus Mark VI was only one of his many inventions, and he even earned a little bit of celebrity for his outlandish creations. They were, it seemed, his reason for being, the passion that got him out of bed in the morning. But in the end, not even... The bear-proof suit could protect Troy from himself. Over time, he grew disillusioned with his work. I'm the biggest failure you've ever met, he remarked in an interview earlier this year. Every single one of my innovations, I gave it my best shot, fell, stood up, and said, let's go again. And still not one of them has ever found a market. A few months later, earlier this year, he died in a car crash, which many believe was an act of suicide. Troy lost sight of himself, the drive to create, to innovate, to live on the edge, to do what gave him joy, was supplanted by a need for recognition and material success. He lost his pearl. Now, for my part, I have a lot to live for. Some of us are blessed with many pearls. But there's only one thing that really keeps me going in the final analysis, and that's my family. I, too, have stared too long into that desert at times, stood in the existential vacuum faced my own existence and found it wanting. I've never attempted suicide, but I think I understand why some people do. I know what it feels like to wish it was all over. To lose perspective, to want to throw away what God's given me, like so many boxes tossed out of the window of a truck. And when I find myself in that darkness, my kids remind me that I'm needed here. They're why I get up in the morning. Even if I wish they'd let me get up a little later. I always come back to this line from Cormac McCarthy's The Road a novel in which a, a man and his son are wandering the ruins of civilization in a world that has nothing left to offer. But his son keeps him going. The child was his warrant 
McCarthy writes, if he is not the word of God, then God never spoke. The pearl is everything, but it doesn't make life easy or any less absurd. One day as I stood amongst the wreckage of toys and laundry and dirty dishes in my house, I pondered the cyclical nature of work, marveling that everything I did, washing the dishes, taking out the trash, going into the office, would have to be done again and again and again. And I thought of Sisyphus and his boulder, that mythic figure of Greek legend destined to roll the same stone uphill over and over again forever. And in a moment of weakness, I wondered why he didn't just stop. Camus tackles this very question, which is actually what drove me to his writing. And he reminds us that Sisyphus, according to Greek legend, was a man who treasured life. Twice he cheated death. First, he literally chained up death and held him hostage so that no one on earth could die. And later, after his own passing, he tricked Hades into letting him out of the underworld for a few days and then skipped town, returning to the living for a number of years before finally being caught and thrown back into the underworld, forced to roll this boulder uphill forever. There's something in Sisyphus that keeps him going, though, regardless of whether his circumstances will ever change. It reminds me of something uh, that was written by Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor, as he reflected on a singular moment of his hard life in the concentration camps. Another time we were at work in a trench, he recalls. The dawn was gray in the sky above. The sky was gray, gray the snow in the pale light of dawn, gray the rags in which my fellow prisoners were clad, and gray their faces. In a last violent protest against the hopelessness of imminent death, I sensed my spirit piercing through the enveloping gloom. I felt it transcend that hopeless, meaningless world. And from somewhere I heard a victorious yes in answer to my question of the existence of an ultimate purpose. At that moment, a light was lit in a distant farmhouse which stood on the horizon as if painted there in the midst of that miserable gray of a dawning morning in Bavaria. And the light shineth in the darkness. For hours, I stood hacking at the icy ground. That last line may be a bit of a letdown, but it's important. Because life is hard. Life can be absurd. But life can also be beautiful when the pearl we carry catches the light, and we can't let that light go out. Amen.